1: It's day four of COP26, which means finance day. Good morning, everybody. Can you please take your seats? For those inside Glasgow's SEC, that meant a a 9am start with the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak. He was almost delayed taking his position on stage by activists outside the event, who were keen to ask Sunak why he was still giving tax breaks to fossil fuel companies. Let me, not, actually, yeah. let, me yeah. let me know why you're giving text for the fuel company. Let me know when you're giving There's not much in that suitcase, is there? You like to come we're
3: climate finance, issue.
1: Once inside, there were a lot of pledges. From Sunak,
0: I can announce that the United Kingdom will commit 100 million pounds to the task force on access to climate finance.
1: U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, in announcing that the United States also intends to fully support the Climate Investment Fund's capital markets mechanism. And former Bank of England Governor Mark Carney.
3: And as you've heard, today as part of GFAN's over 450 major financial institutions from 45 countries are committing to manage their balance sheets, balance sheets that total over $130 trillion in line with net zero. So make no mistake, the money is here.
1: Now, this might just sound like a lot of jargon, but the world of finance is so important. In fact, it's really at the centre of the climate crisis because banks and other investment firms are still pouring billions into fossil fuels. Patrick Greenfield, a biodiversity and environment reporter, has looked in depth at how sustainable finance can make positive change. Together, we looked at what all these promises really mean. And Patrick caught up with Shadow COP President Ed Miliband to hear his thoughts on the day's announcements. From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. COP26, day four. Can capitalism actually go green? Okay, so we've just heard Rishi Sunak and Mark Carney speaking. So let's get into what Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer, actually said. One of the first things was this net zero hub. What exactly was he announcing?
0: The UK will go further and become the first ever net zero aligned financial centre.
3: The Chancellor was talking about new treasury rules for financial institutions and companies listed in the London Stock Exchange. And remember, they are not just British companies. We've got companies from around the world that are listed there. And they will all have to come up with and publish net zero transition plans by 2023 that will be evaluated by a new institution that essentially kicks the tyres and sees what they're actually doing, what they they say they're doing. But crucially, they are not mandatory. And the people that will be deciding who they're good enough are investors.
1: And... The second big headline of his speech was G-Fans.
0: The Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero.
1: The Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. Tell me about that.
3: So, Mark Carney, former head of the Bank of England, he's leading the UK presidency on this issue here at COP, and it's his initiative covering now, I think it was 40% of companies in the world, and they're now aligning themselves with 1.5 degrees. That's about $130 trillion of assets, right? So, these are not small numbers, and these are banks, insurers, pension funds that have all signed up to it.
1: So, it sounds big, sounds exciting. How exactly is it going to work?
3: Right, well, again, the devil is in the detail, and... Annoyingly, with these things, the detail is not quite there. So, with a lot of things that are being announced to COP, there's the big headline, flashy commitment, but still waiting on the detail.
1: Okay, so they can still keep investing in fossil fuel companies, but the idea is is that they start investing more in green technologies, right?
3: Yeah, so that, I mean that's what Mark Carney was saying and is the idea behind this. Right
2: here, right now is where finance draws the line, private finance draws the line.
3: I mean, it's not billions, it's trillions um, that are invested every year around the world. That no longer goes into expanding oil fields and all that kind of thing. It's about new technology, making sure we, we live in a greener world in the future and making that profitable too, right? That's what Janet Yellen, the US Treasury Secretary, was also talking about.
1: The old notions of why the private sector should decarbonize because planet must be put before profit, are no longer universally true. Many renewables are now cheaper than carbon-based fuel alternatives.
3: Economies of scale, making sure that the green option is the cheapest option, ploughing money into that. I mean, the common theme is we're rethinking capitalism. How can we make capitalism go green?
1: Patrick was keen to hear what others had made of the morning speeches and so set up a chat with Ed Minnaband, former Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change and Shadow President of COP26. Ed was part of a team at the Copenhagen Summit who spearheaded the creation of the $100 billion climate fund for developing nations.
3: Let's start with your Guardian piece at the beginning of the week. You said that we could either sugarcoat reality or actually deal with it. For finance, what does that mean? Well, in the first
0: instance, it means on public finance is delivering on the hundred billion dollars promised at Copenhagen. Uh, This is public and private finance promised for developing countries. It's still not being delivered, and and it's not just that it's not being delivered after years of being promised, but it's sort of now being projected for 2023, but it's a projection. And, you know, I was talking to the minister from uh, Grenada this morning. You know, their needs, the needs of developing countries are going to be way more than 100 billion. I mean, 100 billion was just a totemic trust test, and we're failing the totemic trust test at the moment. Secondly, I think it's really important that... The discussions begin about so-called loss and damage and the role of finance in relation to loss and damage because just for your listeners, the 100 billion was supposed to cover uh, developing countries adapting to climate change and mitigating climate change, uh, mitigating their emissions. But there is this issue of the loss and damage uh, that is going to fall most on the developing world and how that gets accounted for. And then thirdly the role of private finance. And we should get on to what is the role of private finance and what role can it play in tackling this emergency.
3: And and that's what Mark Carney and Rishi Sunak were talking about today. What's your reaction to that? I mean,
0: That that it's a move forward, but that there are some issues that need to be kind of nailed down. And and my understanding from the announcement is as follows, which is Rishi Sunak is saying he wants the UK to be a net zero financial centre, that's okay, but we need to know net zero by when. Now, it's implicit in the announcement that it's 2050. We'd like it to be earlier, but it's better, you know, it's better than no date at all. But secondly, it appears not to be compulsory. It's being done on the basis of so-called comply or explain. So you either have to do it or explain why you're not doing it. I don't think that is tough enough. Here's a way of thinking about it. We are 1% of global emissions, but when it comes to the investments of our financial institutions and the actions of our biggest companies headquartered in London, we are 15% of global emissions. So they've made a decent start, but we need to nail, da- nail this down so it's not greenwash.
3: Well, a detail that struck me was that investors will decide. And what that means is it's BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, there won't be laws relating to it. I mean, is, is no, it's true? got to be
0: done by the regulators. You know,
3: other things that we demand
0: that large companies do, do in their annual reports, are, are monitored, they're set by the regulators. It cannot simply be investor pressure. And I think this is a sort of Rubicon that the government has
3: got to cross. A small detail from today. The chancellor. I don't think that he's held a press conference or anything about it. I mean, what what did you make of that? The lack of. He doesn't want to be asked difficult questions
0: by the Guardian, Science Weekly, Daily. Uh, uh, (laughs) Um, Look, you know, he's 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 not he's not covered himself in glory on the green thing. I mean, he's good at the green briefcase. But he's, he's terrible at the green policies, you know, cutting air passenger duty for domestic flights. I mean, presumably he just was worried he was going to get 17 questions on why he was cutting air passenger duty for domestic flights, uh, which was his flagship green measure, not uh, in the budget.
3: <laughs> I think the truth is most of our listeners won't really care about the taxonomy of ESG and... All the, all the details that are gonna, the company's going to have to co- comply with, they want to know their, whether their pensions, their money are helping or hindering with, with what 's going on. I mean, how does the average person check that? How, how do we actually um, make, make sure that we 're not part of the problem
0: so there 's a really good organization called Share Action, and they and people should go to their website and they can advise people and you know, investors, people with pensions how to go about the process. Of making sure that their, you know, financial institution where their pension is invested or whatever it is, is doing the right thing. So, so if people are looking for sort of, you know, in this maze and it is a bit of a maze for the individual, uh, they're a really good organisation to start with.
3: We're, we're reimagining capitalism, right? That's what today is about. Capitalism going green. Do you think we could that that's possible? Can capitalism be green? I think it is
0: possible. But I think we don't, we shouldn't underestimate the vested interests that want to keep it not green. You need countervailing forces that push this to change. Now, what what are the countervailing forces? Civil society, the divestment movement has played an incredibly important role, but you need the movement and you need government. So I think capitalism can change, but there are big powerful forces that don't want it to change. So
3: overthrowing capitalism is not a prerequisite for climate action?
0: No, I don't I don't think it is. I think fundamentally changing the way capitalism works is the prerequisite. It's about saying, you know, what what is our impact, not just on profits, but what is our impact on people and the planet? And there are business allies for this, but they can't do it alone.
3: Right. And is Today is much about avoiding a kind of massive climate-related financial crisis at some
0: point in the future. Well, yes, I think that's why... And this is what's been so important about the argument that the climate activists, Bill McKibben and others, made right from the get-go. This is a head-and-heart argument. This is an argument about the change we need because climate disaster will follow, but it's also the carbon bubble. You know, if we carry on as we are, it could make the financial crisis look like a walk in the park because at some point... Investors, shareholders will realise, hang on, government, you know, we're going to have to act, we're going to have to act quickly, and then we could see an absolute collapse in all of these investments that people are invested in.
3: And finally, on the summit, more well generally, unlike other COPs, from what I understand, we've seen the exclusion of observers from some events, and many developing countries have started to get upset about this to the point that it might actually undermine the whole summit here in Glasgow. What have you made of this?
0: There's always been a sort of... Uh, if this isn't a contradiction in terms of, sort of an anarchic-style democracy at some of these, these cults where voices are let in and voices that traditionally wouldn't be able to speak truth to power are in. And I think the government's got to be really careful about this, about the exclusion of people. I mean, I know this is only part of the point, but, you know, I would have had Greta address the the cop on monday or tuesday i mean the politicians will worry that she would say you're all full of blah 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 but since Boris johnson said that anyway you know you've got to be so careful that this doesn't become a sort of stage managed like a party like a souped up version of a party conference and i think those voices and the voices of the global south the voice of indigenous people are really really important and if you exclude those voices it's not just wrong morally but it will store up massive trouble for the second week so i think it's very very important that those voices do get more of a hearing
1: that's all for today to keep up with our daily cop episodes subscribe to science weekly on your preferred podcast app and head to theguardian.com for all of our excellent cop 26 coverage we'll be back tomorrow
3: this is the guardian